For two or three weeks, Jesus and the disciples had been alone and on their own. He'd taken them down to a quiet stretch of coast to the home of a man he knew. There, they'd spent their early mornings fishing and sailing, their middays in rest and enjoyment, their afternoons and evenings receiving his teaching and instruction. It was a wonderfully rich series of days, days they'd always remember, of how he delighted to learn from the fishermen of their secrets out on the water, of how he'd take his naps under the wide branches of a certain tamarisk, of those late-night teachings circled around an outdoor fire, listening to the pop and crackle of the driftwood, learning the realities of the kingdom of heaven. Over and over, he would stress one particular word, remembrance. Remember this, remember that, he would say over and over. Some of them took notes lit by the firelight. Later, these would be ways they'd remember the arc of the whole of his teaching. But remembrance, remember, he kept saying. Finally, on a Tuesday, after they'd said goodbye to their host, they re-entered Simon Peter's boat and sailed westward to return to Capernaum. The trip over was smooth and uneventful. But the arrival back to their headquarters village was loud and chaotic as usual. Word of his coming spread as it always did. All of the western Galilean towns and villages emptied in the direction of where he'd last been sighted. He and his disciples stopped off briefly with the wife and mother-in-law of Simon Peter. Then it was up into the hills. The crowds continued to coalesce and come up after him. That first day passed, then another, then another. They were situated now, as they often were with crowds of this size, in a meadowy valley that functioned as a sort of natural amphitheater. He had a particular knack for knowing the exact right spot for he and his crowds to arrive for teachings, healings, etc., almost as if he'd known the place, the destination, beforehand. Anyway, the third day had dawned and was two-thirds past. And yes, it happened again that a large crowd had collected and now had nothing to eat. It was now about four o'clock on that Thursday's afternoon. The sun was settling lower over the hills at the western end of the valley. The crowds were beginning to become a bit restive, even though it was Jesus who taught them. So Jesus called the disciples over to him and said, My heart goes out to this crowd. They have been with me three days now and they have no food left. If I send them off home without anything, they will collapse on the way. And some of them have come from a distance. Now, if it isn't immediately obvious to the listener listening to me repeat those words of his, I want to make one fact abundantly clear to you. Jesus here was baiting his disciples. He had an end in mind, though they clearly knew it not, which would result in the sort of remembrance of which he'd just been teaching them over on the other shore. So for that reason, and I wonder if you were remembering well enough to notice, he spoke to them words nearly identical to their own from just a few weeks back. 
Listen to Matthew's version of their earlier words. Quote, We are right in the wilds here, and it is very late. Send away these crowds now so that they can go into the villages and buy themselves food. And Mark's own recounting? Quote, We are right in the wilds here, and it is getting late. Let them go now so that they can buy themselves something to eat from the farms and villages around here. And the way Luke got those words? Quote, Please dismiss the crowds now so that they can go to the villages and country round about and find some food and shelter, for we're quite in the wilds here. And again, here's Jesus this afternoon. My heart goes out to this crowd. They have been with me three days now and they have no food left. If I send them off home without anything, they will collapse on the way. And some of them have come from a distance. On the spot. And using words and tones that echo their own words and tones, hoping to jostle their most natural human recollections, Jesus is preparing to give a masterclass in the art of spiritual remembrance. He is standing in this meadow, facing the twelve to whom he plans to entrust the entirety of the kingdom of heaven, and he hopes that just one of them will hear what he's saying, notice his similarity of wording, look around at the deja vu-like quality of the whole scene around themselves, and think, hmm, thousands of people sitting and standing in a hillside meadow near the Sea of Galilee, needing a meal where there is no bread. Where have I seen this before? So, will the disciples notice? Will the look in his eyes, the sound of his words, jog their memories? Well, his disciples replied, opening and closing their mouths like fish around a baited hook, where could anyone find the food to feed them here in this deserted spot? And Jesus sighed. Perhaps deep down he actually wanted to weep. How many loaves have you got? Jesus asked them. They looked around at themselves and then, noting not at all the similarity of their thoughts, feelings, and movements, began walking out grumblingly into the crowd to look and see. They approached family groups, people they happen to know, men, women, and children with kindly faces, all with the same question. Have you any bread to share? And no, next to no one had a loaf or anything at all. Although, it was strange, here and there, some of the crowd would try to draw their attentions to what was going on around them. Don't you remember? These people would say. The disciples were too busy to stop and engage with that question. So after perhaps half an hour of their searching, the disciples returned to Jesus visibly frustrated. Seven, they replied. Jesus stared deeply into their eyes. He gave them five or ten seconds of silence to note their own answer. None of them seemed to notice at all. So Jesus told the crowd to settle themselves on the ground. He then looked over his shoulder to see if the disciples were noticing. Then he took the seven loaves into his hands and with a prayer of thanksgiving broke them 
casting one more glance behind himself toward his friends. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people, and this they did. They had a few small fish as well, and after blessing them, Jesus told the disciples to give these also to the people. And it was the fish that finally did it, that that suddenly brought the clarity. The loaves had passed from Jesus' hands into baskets into the hands of the waiting crowds without the disciples' slightest recognition. They were all thinking their thoughts, going through the motions, watching the daylight fade, and the, the passing of the bread did nothing to aid their remembrance. But something about the fish did. Perhaps they suddenly saw a vision of that little boy from the earlier day with his little lunch satchel when they smelled the smell of the fresh-caught tilapia. Maybe the look of the people lounging in the swaying meadow grasses, enjoying the taste of the bread and fish suddenly shook something loose. For all at once, the proverbial scales fell from their eyes. They suddenly saw what Jesus had done twice. They saw how all the people arrayed as they were across the valley ate and were satisfied. Moreover, they walked around and picked up seven baskets full of pieces left over, already beginning to analyze the shortfall from the twelve on that other day. Uh, The people today numbered about 4,000. The disciples began trying to understand how 1,000 less people could result in less baskets full of leftovers. In fact, they were arguing about it as they returned to Jesus. Then Jesus, shaking his head, (laughs) sent the crowds back home. And then he boarded the boat at once with his disciples and went on to the district of Dalmanutha. They made their way back down to Simon Peter's boat, taking along only one of the loaves of the leftovers and prepared for an overnight sail in that direction. The night passed, the dawn dawned. As they were coming in in the morning, Lowering the sail and allowing their momentum to carry them onto the beach, the disciples noticed something interesting. In the rising morning light, there on the beach stood a circle of waiting men. By their attire, they looked to be Pharisees. They were standing there on the pebbly shoreline, arms crossed, waiting in stony silence for the arrival of the boat and Jesus. Once the boat was beached, he stepped out over the bow. And these Pharisees came out at him immediately and began an argument with him, wanting a sign from heaven. Perhaps they were thinking of an audible voice, a burning bush, a pillar of fire or a cloud, or perhaps a visible glowing show of the presence or wind or lightning. What they wanted to see was the heavens opening outward to experience the life of heaven and earth. They they wanted a taste of what their forefathers had known. What they weren't requesting to see was a humble carpenter teacher, a man with fire in his eyes, a human pillar of perfect integrity, the presence encased in the flesh of a man with the breath of God, the spirit pulsating from within. They didn't want to see the kingdom of heaven, at least the one he represented with its Suspect healings, feedings, signs, wonders, and supposed 
risings from the dead. What he was doing in their plain sight was nothing to them. They wanted, they repeated to him, a sign from heaven. Jesus gave a deep sigh. His disciples were starting to recognize and to know that sigh. And then said, what makes this generation want a sign? I can tell you this. They will certainly not be given one. And just like that, he turned on his heel, left them, and got aboard the boat again and crossed the lake. They had literally been on the shoreline fronting Dalmanutha for the time it took just for that fraught exchange, perhaps 45 seconds in total. And away they sail again. The morning passed, and the afternoon arrived. Now, the disciples had forgotten to take any food and had only one loaf with them in the boat, the only leftover of the leftovers they thought to bring along. Suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, rising and standing upright in the stern, Jesus spoke seriously to them. Keep your eyes open. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. He sat back down and threw his legs over across the stern bench. He looked out to sea and began thinking of something else. And yet, what he'd said sent them into earnest consultation among themselves. And what was it they earnestly consulted upon? The perfidy of the Pharisees? Their seeming hard-heartedness? The way that man and men are so quick to take the ways of heaven in the wrong direction? Or the cruelty of the Herodians? The puppet rulership of the Romans? The whole history of the broken ways of man when he strives to rule his fellow men? The subtlety of the ways of sin in the hearts of humanity that would accept the fall, ignore the cure, miss the incarnate heart of the gospel? No, not quite. Instead, as Jesus retreated into his own thoughts there in the stern, they began an earnest consultation because they had brought no bread. And Jesus knew it. He knew it even without listening to their foolishness and, without turning around, said to them, Why all this discussion about bringing no bread? Don't you understand or grasp what I say even yet? Are you like the people who, having eyes do not see and having ears do not hear? Have you forgotten? When I broke five loaves for 5,000 people, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied foolishly, confidently. And when there were seven loaves for 4,000 people, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Seven, they said, now a bit more quietly. Jesus then turned his back entirely toward them. He looked out off the stern toward the distant hilltops on the other shore. And does that still mean nothing to you? He said, nearly whispering. 